0: Good evening. Thank you so much for coming. We'll continue this evening to read from Sri Jiva Goswami's Krishna Sandarbha. We're on the 60th Anacheda, still in the uh, second division of uh, the fortification of the Parivasa Sutra. Basically, this second division is showing that Krishna is the major subject of all the Bhagavat's dialogues, major dialogues. So, the 60th Anacheda Narada sings the Lila of Krishna. Jiva writes here, In the following two verses spoken by Sri Vyasadeva, Sri Narada clearly refers, spoken to Sri Vyasadeva, Sri Narada clearly refers to Krishna. And then he quotes two verses from the sixth chapter of the first canto. Narada says there, I wonder all over singing the Lila's of Sri Hari, Krishna, while playing on this Vena instrument which was given to me by the effulgent Lord and is adorned with the seven musical notes that embody Brahman in the form of sound. When I sing of the heroic deeds of the Lord, whose glory is most endearing and whose feet are the sole source of all holy places, he quickly appears in my heart as if summoned by me. Deva writes in relationship to this verse, the effulgent Lord, Deva, can refer only to Sri Krishna, as it is well known from the Upari Bhaga of the Linga Purana that it is He who personally gave the Veena to Narada. From the congruity of meaning, it naturally follows that the form of the Lord that appeared in Narada's heart is exactly that in which he gave him the vena. Remembering the gift of the vena bestowed upon him by Sri Krishna, Narada used the compound deva-data given by the effulgent Lord, specifically out of the deliberation on him. Although we have not ourselves read the Leela from the Linga Purana, uh, there is some little note in the commentary here. Narda was taking musical lessons from Krishna and his wives Jambavati, Satyabama, and Rukmini. Wow. So, if we ever get the Linga Purana in an English edition, we would be able to read about that Leela, uh, which is from the 94th to the 112th verse of that Purana's. Probably second canto, third chapter. Next anucheda, Narda instructs Vyas regarding Krishna. We're finding in this little section of anuchedas basically, they're they're dealing with uh, Brahma's uh, Krishna's instruction to Brahma, Brahma's instruction to Narda, Narda's instruction to Vyas. So, very beginning of uh, what we have uh, seen as our disciplic succession as put forth when it's explained by the Acharyas of the Madhva-Godhya-Sampradaya. So Jiva goes on to write, Therefore, the following verse is to be explained precisely in the same manner as referring to Sri Krishna alone. So some could say, well, maybe Jiva Goswami is taking a little bit of liberty here. He's He's pointing everything to... Bhagavan Sri Krishna, Swayam Bhagavan, and he's just giving every verse an interpretation that points to Krishna. But what we'll find as we go along here is, yes, but he has good reason. So in the last Anucheta, he's given us a good reason that, you know, Narda had received the vena, and here if we go to this other Purana, we can see that Krishna and his wives trained Narada. Well, the only only personalities who were his wives were when Krishna himself advented and had Lila in Dwarka. So, who else could be that personality that Narada is referring to that gave him the Vena? So, although Krishna's name may not be directly in the verse from the Bhagavatam, still... It's not a stretch when you look at the other Shastras, the support. And that's, that's what the Goswamis did, is they took from all the major... I mean, they how well read were these personalities that they took from everything and supported Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's philosophical conclusions and and gave us such a huge volume of literature, Bhakti Shastra, to support the position of the Gaudiya Vaishnav conception of the Supreme Lord. So, I mean, all these different Acharyas, they have different presentations, but as we've come to appreciate as Gaudiya Vaishnavs or aspiring Gaudiya Vaishnavs or servants of the devotees who are Gaudiya Vaishnavs, uh, we've come to see that they've been extremely thorough to, the, to a fault, to no fault. There is no fault in their presentation that one can find one can argue and be easily defeated by them. I mean, that's why we, in our Sampradaya, and in fact, among logicians of the world, Jiva Goswami is renowned for his erudition in in putting forth conclusive spiritual understanding completely supported by by shastra and we're seeing here as we go through this a vivid display of that so it's hard to argue with somebody that is that well versed in shastra if you if you put forth a misconception That doesn't mean that Jiva Goswami is not appreciative of the other Vaishnav traditions and their understanding, but still, you know, you're respectful to a point, and even you're respectful to a point where you may just, you may, out of deference to another Vaishnav who has a different viewpoint based on their experience, you may be able to logically defeat like a Marari Gupta, you may logically defeat uh Balava, Anupam, Abupana what is it? Anupam. Anupam. You may be able to logically defeat him that Krishna is the the supreme manifestation of the Lord, but these devotees have already fixed Lord Ramachandra as their today. So, you, at that point, you're completely respectful. Um, today, we don't have that kind of a situation very often. Um, of course, Swami Tripurari, in his uh, discourse, has many times mentioned that at a certain time he was visiting the house of a, the home of a Sri Vaishnav, and uh, the Sri Vaishnav was completely, you know completely dedicated to the concept of Lakshmi Narayan. He was charmed by the Leela of Krishna and the Kirtan of the Gaudias. Oh, this is very sweet, sweet presentation you have here. But when you mention Lakshmi Narayan, then he's immediately, his, his natural spiritual inclination manifests fully. It makes sense now, too. I mean, I just remember always hearing Prabhupada say how the Goswamis never have time to sleep more than an hour, hour and a half. Now it makes sense. Otherwise, how could they have read all these scriptures and written all these scriptures? Those personalities that descend with the Lord uh, to engage in his leela, like They're sodica Siddhas. The, the Siddha part of it is probably plays a good <laughs> <laughs> contributes significantly to the fact that they could do everything that they did. Uh, it wasn't that they didn't sleep. That isn't what gave them the facility to write all the books. There's many people in the world that don't sleep very much, <laughs> but they don't come out with literatures like the Ghostwobby's writing. So the austerities are not so much the uh, the critical uh, barometer of uh, of the saintliness. So we should see the following verse, Jiva says, that he's going to present here in exactly the same manner, that it's referring only to Sri Krishna alone. O of unfailing vision, through self-inquiry, Atmana. Know yourself, Atmanam, to be an expansion of the Supreme Person, the imminent self of all crea- creation. Although unborn, he has taken birth for the welfare of the world. Therefore, describe extensively his divine play, whose majesty is supreme above all. That's from the first canto. Jiva writes in regards to this, Paraphrasing the verse, O you of unfailing vision, a Mogadric, through self inquiry, Atmana Anusadhana. Atmana Anusadhana. In other words, you are a manifestation of the Supreme Lord, so you can your sadhana can be on your very Atma. And from that kind of a sadhana, because you are an expansion of Krishna, you will uh, arrive at the know-yourself Jiva continues to write know-yourself atmanam to be an expansion kala or, in other words, a portion amsa of the Supreme Person. Additionally, you should also know that although he is unborn, he has just appeared in the form of Sri Krishna for the welfare of the world. Knowing these two truths you should describe extensively the divine play of Shri Krishna alone, whose majesty is supreme above all, meaning that the prowess, Prabhava, exhibited by him exceeds even that of all other avatars and avataris. <clears throat> Since you yourself are Ishwara, you should not display your maya in the form of self-ignorance. This is the intended sense. So, Jiva, in looking at this verse spoken to Sridhar Vyasadeva he's basically taking the verse Jiva is and, and expanding upon it, giving it a... a, a a more fuller understanding for the reader and at the end here he's saying to Yasudev, don't cast off any self-imposed involvement in the material manifestation to do this work properly. In other words, what's it say here? You should not display your maya in the form of self-ignorance. So, in other words, be meditate on yourself as an expansion of the Supreme Lord and uh, don't become overwhelmed by the material situation that you have descended into for the well-being of humanity. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Narda. Yes, and Jiva is paraphrasing it here. So he's brought that point out in the Anucheta that you should, uh, you know, no self-ignorance here. Don't uh, don't get wrapped up in your Sada Take on your Godhood so that you can... Mm-hmm perfectly relay the Bhagavata Purana and concentrate on the divine play. Describe extensively the divine play of Sri Krishna alone. Now, if we remember what was, what would have been preliminary to this particular verse, which is from the 5th chapter 21st verse. Prior to that, Narada's had said the following in the ninth verse of the same chapter, O great sage, you have not enunciated the glories of Sri Krishna in the way that you have repeatedly praised subjects such as conventional religi- religiosity, Dharma. So earlier, Vyasa was despondent and Narda said, this is the verse that he said, you haven't, you have not specifically enunciated the leela of krishna you've done a great job in, in breaking up the vedas and and presenting all the puranas and adding the mahabharata and giving us the vedanta sutra which is giving you know which is uh, uh, taking the essence of the spirituality <clears throat> presented in the vedas Uh, uh, and all the major Upanishads. You've done all that, but you haven't really concentrated on the real essence, which is the Lila of Krishna. The Lila of Krishna is really what can relieve all the suffering of material existence. The other's great. Artha, Dharma, karma, Karma, Moksha, it's tremendous that you've done that. Humanity will love you for it, but... It's not really going to end material suffering. What's going to end material suffering is not the advance, someone's advancement in human in human society through acquisition, through religiosity, through sense enjoyment, or even through liberation. You've presented all that. And Krishna's also reinforced that in the Bhagavad Gita, which is the heart of the Mahabharata. So he's given us that also. All these Vedas, they basically are concerned with involvement in the three modes of material nature. But they're not really the heart of the matter. Jiva goes on. 62nd Anacheda. From the fifth chapter, first of all, we have that you have an enunciated Krishna. That's from the very, in the beginning of the fifth ch- chapter. Then we have the verse from the Aniceta we're just reading now. Meditate upon yourself. Here's how you can, how you can, how you can gain, gain entrance into dispelling your despondency. You feel that something's lacking. So we know what's lacking and now we need to we need to resolve that lacking in yourself, so that you can fulfill, feel self-satisfied, in, in your pre- literary presentation of the supreme Lord for the ultimate benefit of humanity. So the verse we just read is from the is the twenty-first verse. Now we go on to the sixty-second Anocheida. and in the same chapter, at the end of the chapter. Narada initiates Vyas with a mantra. So the Anucheda reads Consequently, for the sake of manifesting the Bhagavat Purana, so he gave him this mantra, according to Jiva, for the sake of manifesting the Bhagavat Purana, Sri Narada instructed Sri Vyas exclusively in the Sri Krishna mantra which consists of the names of four expansions, chatur In doing so, the supremacy of the worshipper of Sri Krishna is also pointed out as stated below. That mantra is presented in the 37th and the 38th verse of the 5th chapter of the 1st Canto. I'll read the first part of it. Om Namo Bhagavate Tubhyam Vasudevaya Dimahi. Mahi Prajumna Ya Nirudaya Nama Sankar Sanayacha. Obeisances unto you, O Bhagavan Vasudev, we meditate upon you, obeisances also unto PRAJUMNA, Aniruda, and Sankarshan. One who thus worships the master of sacrifice, whose forms consist of mantra, and who is devoid of material form, by uttering the above names, is certainly endowed with complete vision. Jiva concludes his Anucheta. The meaning is self-evident. <laughs> so the commentary here is quite nice. I'll share it with you by such an das The mantra given by Narada to Vyas specifically addresses Sri Krishna, along with his three expansions in the form of his brother, son, and grandson. He is referred to here as Mantra Murti, indicating that he is realized through the form of the mantra. The mantric vibration or linguistic pulsation is non-different from him since he is identical with his name. That this mantra pertains exclusively to Krishna and not to some other form of Bhagavan is confirmed by the sage Karabhajana, who while describing the form of Bhagavan that manifests in the Dwarpa age, recited the following mantra, I offer obeisances unto Vasudeva, Sankharshan, Prajumna, and Aniruddha. I offer obeisances unto you, O Bhagavan. So here, as a further confirmation that it's the mantra itself was, was a mantra for Swayam Bhagavan Sri Krishna, we also find that this same mantra comes up in relationship to the manifestation of the Lord, the Yuga avatar uh, for Dwarpa Yuga which is Krishna and specifically in this Dwarpa Yuga of the 28th cycle of so we know that Brahma, Brahma it's the first day of the second half of Brahma's life Uh, and it's midday through that day that's going to come out as we go on that this is uh, as we look at the Brahma Samhita and uh, the way uh, Jiva Goswami has presented it uh, and also to to, to understand that this this is also this, this, the beginning of a universe, the smallest universe. So that also comes out in the uh, Chaitanya Charitamrita, when the Leela of Krishna, of Brahma, going to Dwarka to see Krishna, and then all the other Brahma's come, and in the this is the instruction from Sri Chaitanya to, to Sanatana Goswami. And in that, it comes out that this universe is is really teeny, <laughs> small universe, small Brahma. Some have like 10 million heads or something. And their, head, their helmets all claim together. Yeah, yeah, that, when they were offering obeisances. Of course, they weren't aware that the other Brahmas were there. Only our Brahma could see that this was a room full of Brahmas. Mm-hmm. The other Brahmas th- thought that Krishna just wanted to see them, so they, in this universe, he's drawn me all the way to this universe, this little puny little universe. He's drawn me to his, during his personal advent, uh, to his dwarka. Now, whether they are aware that they went to the smallest universe, that we don't know. We move on. To the 63rd Anucheda, Krishna is the sole aim of Brahma. Narda writes, I mean Jiva writes here, next it is shown that Sri Krishna is the sole aim of Sri Brahma, who spoke the following to Sri Narda. Jiva now quotes from the second canto, seventh chapter, to dispel the misery of the earth, which will be oppressed by the armies of the Asuras. Bhagavan himself whose partial manifestation was white and has white and black hair, and whose manner is beyond the scope of ordinary human beings, will personally appear and perform actions that exhibit his superhuman glory. We can see a literal translation of the verse from the second canto, seventh chapter, in that it's bringing out the white and black hair of Keshava, which we've already going gone over, that this is a radiance, it can be looked at in different ways, doesn't really mean that, well, Kashiro Dakshai Vishnu has white and black hair. Uh, as presented there, the various avataric descents of the Lord are coming through. Kashiro Dakshai Vishnu and all the demigods saw that he took hares and said these hairs will be Krishna and Balaram who will be placed in uh, Devaki and uh, uh, Rohini. Jiva writes in relationship to this verse to relieve the misery of the earth which will be oppressed by the armies of the Asuras he indeed who transcends even Paramatma and whose manner is thus beyond the scope of ordinary people like ourselves, will appear on earth and perform deeds. Who is this? It is he whose partial manifestations, manifestation has black and white hair. So Jiva is just saying, partial manifestation is, of course, the Purusha avatar, uh, from whom all other avatars are normally seen as descending through the agency of those. Jiva has already, as I said, conclusively shown that it's not quite that way when it comes to Krishna. Jiva continues here. In other scriptures, such as the Vishnu Purana and Mahabharata, discussed in twenty 29.6, we find the widely known account of the Devas beholding Kashiro Dakshai Vishnu, who exhibited white and black hair. Even that. Form, however, is merely a partial manifestation of He who is verily Swayam Bhagavan. Here, the inclusion of Sri Baladev in the description of Krishna's appearance is indicated because Krishna is never without Him. The following doubt may be raised in this regard How is it that this Bhagavan, who is superior even to the Purusha, will personally appear merely to relieve the burden of the earth naturally why do you why does this bhagavan swayam bhagavan shri krishna need to appear along with his brother to relieve the burden of the earth it seems like uh, you are trying to to swat a fly you know with a machine gun <laughs> it's, it's overkill so one can naturally question why do we keep hearing this even Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita Yada Yadahi dharma Shya. Uh, you know I come again and again to relieve and to reestablish Dharma and it, it, we repeatedly hear in the Bhagavad Purana Krishna is coming to relieve the burden of the earth he was prayed for by Bhumi Bhumi went to Brahma I, I have a burden. Can you relieve my burden? And all of a sudden, here comes Swayam Bhagavan. There's trillions of universes coming through the pores of his partial manifestation of, you know, Karna Vishnu. And he's just a partial manifestation and all his Vishnu, I mean all the manifestations of Narayan and Vaikuntha, and you're going to bring in Shwayam Bhagavan Sri Krishna, take him from Goloka and transport him, he's going to transport himself, all his intimate associates, and his holy dham onto planet earth to relieve the burden created by a few Asuric kings, it does seem to be a little overkill. And one could say it is. Definitely. So why is he really coming? So Jiva continues. Anticipating such an objection, Brahma responds, he will also perform actions, harmony, that exhibit his own superhuman glory, meaning those actions that disclose the transcendental splendor of his supreme maleficness, Maduri and that are discussed exclusively by his devotees. So it's the nature of these leelas, Mm. these specific leelas. Although relieving the burden of the earth could easily be accomplished merely by his partial manifestation, or even by a mere semblance of his will, yet he will appear with the intent of spreading the cloud bank of his divine play. Lila Kadumbani, to shower his own maleficeness, Maduri, bestowing bliss upon his devotees, who subsist only on his lotus feet. This indeed is clearly expressed in the very next verse. Then Jiva presents a verse, the next verse from the seventh canto seventh chapter of the second canto to suck out the life of the demoness Putna even while just a baby to turn over a cart with his foot when he was only three months old and to uproot two sky piercing Arjuna trees simply by crawling in between them are all otherwise unimaginable so the foot there's a footnote here In regards to this word Maduri, which I wanted to share with you. The word Maduri and Maduria is commonly translated as maleficeness sweetness, which maleficeness, sweetness, loveliness, exquisite beauty, charm, and so on. So this Maduria is generally translated as that. When used in relation to Bhagavan Sri Krishna, it refers to the supremely delightful and intoxicating aspect of His intrinsic nature, which both includes and transcends His majesty, Aishwarya. Whereas Aishwarya inspires awe, reverence, and a sense of formality, Madhurya induces love and intimacy. Madhurya thus signifies the highest and most mysterious aesthetic quality of krishna's innate being there is no single word in english that adequately conveys the concept of madhurya etymologically entom- entomologically speaking however the more word madhurya is derived from madhu honey which is said to possess an intoxicating quality similarly the english word maleficousness is derived from the Latin mel, honey, and "fluere" to flow, indicating that which has a smooth, rich flow, and, or that which is filled with an intoxicating sweetness. Hence, from the point of view of entomology, maleficousness is closest in meaning to meduria. Jiva Goswami continues. Now he's explaining the verse regarding Krishna's childhood leelas uh, that we just read from the second chapter, seventh chapter of the second canto. The word intaratha otherwise implies that unless undertaken with the intent to disclose the transcendental splendor of his own maleficeness, deeds such as sucking out Putana's life and so on are simply unimaginable being performed by him while having assumed the delightful form and disposition of a t- t- tiny baby such implicit intent in the, is the true purpose of his appearance since relieving the earth of its burden could not be could be accomplished merely by his partial manifestation or even by a mere semblance of his will Such is the meaning of this verse. In a similar vein, Jiva continues, we may consider the following verse spoken by Arjuna. Arjuna speaks, This avataric descent of yours is undertaken with the intention of ridding the earth of her burden and to perform such acts that will impel your own people and those who are exclusively devoted to you to meditate ceaselessly on you. Swamipod, now he, he gives from the great Sridhar Swami the following uh, comments in regards to this comment by Arjuna. Swamipod himself comments in this regard. Krishna asks, Is it not possible for the earth's burden to be removed merely by my will, to this Arjuna replies, and to impel your own people to meditate ceaselessly on you. So now, I mean, you can see Jiva's building a real basis here for a understanding of Gaudiya Siddhanta. It all comes down to hearing the Leela of Krishna. This is the Alexor the Amrita the the true nectar which will remove all suffering and there's no it's it's free of charge to everybody you don't have to have any pre you don't have to be pre to purchase it <laughs> uh you could just go into the lot and surrender to a bona fide guru and it's given. It was given in such an extent that Lord Chaitanya, he didn't know what. how could he get rid of all the fruits of this discourse of the Bhagavatam, the sweetness of the fruits of, of the dispensation. Golo Kera Prema Hari Harinam Sankirtan, he couldn't give it, Where? how can I get rid of all this? It's so sweet and it's just coming in such an abundance from the leelas of Krishna that he had to employ, well, he had to bring all of his associates for Vrindavan. All of his eternal associates engaged in his leela had to become sadhikas to help him. He couldn't handle it all. There was so much you could imagine. The Orchard of Love of God. Lord Chaitanya is trying to distribute all these fruits. So he has to bring all the gopis, all of his friends. He has to bring all of his parents and the elders. He has to bring them all as sonikas just to help him get the job done. And we can find, we find in Chaitanya Chartamrita this whole list of all the limbs of the tree of this uh, the the metaphorical tree presented by Krishna Das Kaviraj of Lord Chaitanya's Sankirtan movement. And all these personalities are coming in, coming down and, and becoming major limbs and branches and roots of the tree of Sri Chaitanya's Sankirtan movement. And that's all that's required. Attacked. So ceaselessly meditation. It's all about that's all the sankirtan. that's all that it's it's meant to bring us to. Ceaseless meditation on the Lila of Krishna. You don't have to you know, it's not about Varnashram. It's not about it's not about Nati Nati Nati. There's only one thing it's about. We can we can push all, through all the other things and all the other scriptures, push them all aside, and put the Bhagavat Purana in the middle, the way Jiva Goswami has done for us in these Sundarbas from the very beginning, and we can concentrate on understanding what is this presentation, and through this presentation of the Bhagavat Purana, which is our it's our window of opportunity into Krishna Leela. And if we can ceaselessly meditate on this, these Leelas of Krishna, then in due course of time, in one birth or another, we can hopefully enter into a point of participation in some form or another in that eternal Leela of the Lord. Swamipad points exactly to ceaseless meditation, Arjuna, based on Arjuna's statement. Then Jiva goes on to another uh, text from the 10th canto and the 90th chapter. The next verse is also relevant to the context. All glories to Sri Krishna, the shelter of all beings, who, although unborn, is said to have taken birth from Devaki. He was Encircled by the very best of the Yadavas. By his own arms he dispelled all irreligiosity, he removes the misery of all mobile and immobile beings. By his beautiful, smiling face he aroused amorous feelings in the hearts of the women of Vraj and Mathura. Here also Sridhar Swami comments. Quote, even though he is fully capable of dispelling irreligio- irreligiosity merely by his will, yet for the sake of his divine play, it is said that he did so with his arms. Therefore, on the basis of such verses, Jiva continues, it is perfectly clear that Brahma, who also ab- was also absorbed in describing the most wonderful leelas of Sri Krishna alone, what more need what more need be said when brahma himself prays in the following manner so Jiva's saying okay here let me conclude this aniceta. let's see what brahma's conclusion is and then he quotes from the 14th chapter of the 10th canto the conclusion of of brahma's brahma has now developed a very very specific intent after the whole brahma vamohan Leela. Brahma says, I would deem it my great fortune to take even a lowly birth here in this forest of Braj so that I might be showered with the dust of the feet of any of the residents of Gokula whose life and totality is Bhagavan Sri Krishna the bestower of liberation, Mukunda, the dust of whose feet is sought by the Shrutis even to this very day. Bori Bugyum is the term. My, That would be the, the ultimate Bori Bugyum that I could aspire to, the ultimate aspiration. So that's his intent. Uh, we should follow in his... Uh, line of intent, since he is the head of the Sampradaya <laughs> Any questions? I wanted to ask. So that was Sachin Orion. That was that was sort of showing that how, why he was using that maleficent word. Maleficent word. Yeah, he's kind of. It's a footnote, so he's justifying his word of that. His yeah. use of that word as a trans as the translation for Maduria. Yeah. It's the closest he can he, come. He's trying, yeah, he's he trying, says there's, no, there's no word that really can convey it in English, but entomologically, yeah. we can go back and see, well, it's pretty close to this English word because this English word comes from the Latin, and the Latin means honey, and it, the flow of honey, maleficeness. Maleficness. And uh, so Midoriya is kind of, we also see honey, sweetness, Right, so he, yeah, that's, that's nice. I like that. Thank you much thank you. for your association. Yeah, thank you.